0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a conversation with the great Hall of Fame tennis writer, Steve Flink. Uh, I've, I've heard you guys asking for him, but again, like you don't have to ask for him uh, because he's coming back always after a major. This is tradition. Uh, we get into Novak Djokovic's incredible run at the 2021 French Open. We talk about the semifinal more than we do the final. I think that's that's appropriate, given the magnitude of that victory. Zoom out, legacy stuff with Novak Djokovic moving forward for Rafa Nadal, talking about his decision to skip Wimbledon and the Olympics. Roger Federer, the comeback, expectations for him at Wimb- Wimbledon, uh, along with a, an assessment of where the next crop is from Dominic Team and Alexander Zverev. And uh, Daniil Medvedev and your French Open finalist, Stefano Tsitsipas. All that and more. Without further ado, Steve Flink. We're joined once again by the great Steve Flink Hall of Famer. Latest book out is Pete Sampras Greatness Revisited, great journalist for tennis.com, and of course, uh, a great friend of the program. We, he comes on after every single major and, uh, I look forward to these chats and I know for those of you watching and listening, I know you do too, because Steve, uh, I've been hearing from the people they've been asking for you that I don't know what they, they have nothing to worry about. Okay. This is not going to go away anytime soon, but they still just make sure Steve's coming back. Right, Gil?
1: (laughs) Glad to hear that, Gil. That's always nice to hear.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, so after Australia this year, I think we began By agreeing that Novak's run to the final and ultimately lifting the trophy was incredibly memorable because he, he looked uh, injured and it looked as if there was no chance that he would be able to win that title about midway through the tournament. And he ended up persevering and winning it. And now we, we speak after the French open, and I would argue that this run was even more memorable and even more meaningful, especially given that uh, match in the semifinal when he takes down Rafael Nadal for the second time. But really, I, I thought that this performance was even more
1: impressive. Even more impressive than when he beat him in
0: 2015?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, no comparison. Because the win in 2015, if you, that, that, through that period, Rafa was not really Rafa. Uh, it had started with a back injury that he had before the 2014 Australian final against Vabrinka, when he lost his stand for the first time and had to take an injury timeout. He was definitely hobbled through a lot of that year, despite winning the French over Novak that year. He He was struggling in 14 and then it got worse in 15 and 16. So yes, there's no doubt in my mind that He was a very vulnerable uh, Rafa. And we all expected Novak to win that match going in. uh, Novak won three of the four majors that year. Ironically, not that one. He lost his stand in the final, but he won all the rest and he was dominant. And there was no shock in that. And interestingly enough, uh, Gil, the parallel is that at two sets to love rather than two sets to one, Rafa got discouraged. He even admitted it in that press conference in 15. He really kind of, for him, I want to say half surrendered. Uh, It it, it was not, he he really didn't compete the way he normally does and was very, uh, very candid about that afterwards, maybe a little disappointed in himself, but he was discouraged. And uh, so there was a similar, uh, a similarity this time to how he felt in the fourth set against Novak, but I don't want to get ahead of our narrative.
0: Well, yeah, I I thought that um, the way, you know, how much running Rafa had to do in this, in that match, I felt in the, by the, by the fourth set, there just wasn't enough gas in the tank. Definitely not to win two sets, but it, it turned out maybe not even to win one. Of course, the, the task was going to be monumental. After the third set, which is one of the best sets of tennis that I've seen in a while, and certainly this was the best stuff we've seen from from those two since uh, Wimbledon um, 2018, that, that semifinal. Uh, but how do you think Novak cracked the code, especially given the way last year's final went um, in 2020?
1: Well, those are all interesting observations. And, and I agree, 2018 should not be overlooked. That was a gem, as was the 2013 semifinal at Roland Garros, as was the 2012 Australian final. They've just had some masterpieces. But uh, how did he crack the code? I think one of the keys, Gil, was, that, was the tail end of the first set, because this was eerily reminiscent of the final a year ago when Rafa beat Novak so convincingly, loved two and five. And Novak in the early stages had chances, game points, break points, didn't convert mainly game points. Uh, This time it was both. He starts up the match in similar fashion. He had break points on Rafa's serve in the first game, two of them, Rafa aced, aced him on one service winner on the other. Then Novak has 40, 15 doesn't hold. So I think he dug a little hole for himself. The next thing you know, Rafa's up five love and you're thinking, Oh my God, is this going to be just like last year and Djokovic, That was the one thing I thought couldn't possibly happen this year. And it almost did. But then he saved that whole string of set points, I believe six in all, to get all the way back and got back to 3-5. And even when Rafa served for that set in the the ninth game, it was 4-11 Novak got back to do. So coming into the second set, despite the fact that Rafa finally shut the door, they both had a very different feeling, a, a different vibe, as they say. And I I really thought that was one of the keys because you could see right off the bat, Djokovic got a break early in the second. Rafa broke back, but then Djokovic got another. And despite some tough holds, he got through it, took the set and suddenly it's one set all and it's a different match. But I honestly believe, how did you feel about that? That the latter stages of the first set were critical.
0: I fully agree. And I think Novak could have easily started looking to the second set um, and just kind of given away the first set after going down five love. But the fact is... He kept searching for the answer and, and, you know, feeling out the tactics of the match and you could just feel the momentum swinging, not, you know, he didn't ask himself to do it at the start of the second. He definitely started that work uh, during, during the first set. So I agree with that.
1: Yeah. He had his confidence. The other thing that happened, Gil, and obviously Rafa alluded to this after the match and others have since is that it, The conditions were getting cooler. I mean, the first set, it was still relatively balmy in the afternoon. As they started heading into the evening, that was going to be in Novak's favor. Rafa always has has believed that he gets a much better purchase out of his forehand when in warmer conditions, higher bound on the topspin. And now I do think he should have learned a lesson. This is not to be critical of Rafa. who, Who could be with that kind of competitor? But I'm surprised that he would still carry this feeling because a year ago in the fall, he played an unbelievable tournament. And he never had those kinds of conditions. He liked hot weather, not that much sun, the final on a rainy day. I mean, it was all, it it all proved that he's just a great clay court player period. But I do think he has this in his head and he believes it. And I definitely think it's Novak would prefer not hot, sunny conditions. He feels better when it's not, Oh, you know, a stifling kind of day. So that, that definitely had a bearing as well. And, uh, it was, it was just fascinating to see the way it turned from late in the first and Novak fighting hard to grab the second, which I thought was, how did you feel? I thought the second was very good quality, not a great set, but a very well-played set because Rafa didn't give it away. He broke back and even when Novak finished off the set, he had a tough time holding. Rafa was making him save break points. Those were, that was a difficult stretch for Novak to reach one set all, but crucial from his end of the court.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just felt from that point on, Novak started to feel out the tactics that were ultimately going to be crucial for the rest of the match. And Rafa stepped it up in the third, but the the fact remained that Djokovic was on to his serve and getting returns to Nadal's backhand, which I thought was key. I've never seen him do it so often on clay uh, just to neutralize that first forehand. And then the second I, thing I feel that I think. I feel like,
1: I, sorry to interrupt that and you're so right. And that's so difficult to do. Yeah. So difficult, and yet he did it time and time again. The other tactic that I thought was really enormously successful was just taking his own for it. A little heavy, top heavier topspin than he might normally use to pull Rafa off the court in the rallies, pull him wide to his two hand or get him off the court. And I thought that that Rafa never really had an answer for that. Because if you just tried to play him with depth, the Rafa Rafa's back end is so much improved. In, in that kind of a pattern. But when he was drawn so wide, he was a little befuddled on how to counter Novak. So I think the combination of the returns that you mentioned, but these cross-court forehands during the rallies were deadly from Novak, and he definitely relied on that. And interestingly enough, the other tactic that I thought that, that, what I thought was impressive from Nadal's end was that if Novak didn't get great depth on his backhand cross-court, one of his best shots, Rafa was stepping in and nailing forehand down the line winners. So yeah. I thought it was a very interesting tactical match from both of them.
0: Yeah. And I th- I think it always is because they know each other so well, but I, I completely, that was kind of my, my probably my number one takeaway from Novak's performance was how good that cross court forehand was. It wasn't a matter of hitting it. It was a matter of how good he was making it. And I think the interesting thing is, is Rafa likes to go down the line uh, to try to Create a forehand for himself. But Novak was not really obliging in the, in the sense that he was hitting his backhand cross court off of that shot very aggressively to not just, not just trade at cross court to give Nadal the forehand that he's looking for, bludgeon it cross court on the rise early so that Nadal feels less comfortable going down the line to try to change that pattern. Uh, it, but what, what did you think of that, um, that pattern?
1: Oh, no, I totally agree when he could be the aggressor like that he was where he, there were a few times when he didn't when he didn't step in and nail it quite hard enough and Rafa was ready for those down the lines which i thought was brilliant on his part. i didn't think he'd changed direction so much but when Novak was stepping in and pounding the back and having opened up the court by going to the back end he was really very successful. i think yeah. that it, the match was played slightly more on Novak's terms than Rafas certainly after the first set
0: for sure and and we'll get into um we'll get into more about about the fourth set and I want to talk a little bit about about endurance but first let's just zoom out on on Djokovic's legacy a little bit because uh it's the double grand slam now he's the first in the open era to do it only Rod Laver and Roy Emerson have won all four grand slam uh sl- slam titles at least twice Uh, Just what, what does that say about Novak? I mean, it's clearly so difficult because it hasn't really been done in a very long time. It speaks to surface versatility. Uh, The fact that, you know, he needed to beat Federer on grass and Nadal at Roland Garros largely uh, in order to do it. Uh, I I just think it says a lot about Novak and his, uh, the fact that his game really transcends conditions and surface.
1: Absolutely correct on all fronts. I would say this about the historical importance. Emerson did it in the 1960s as an amateur, take nothing away from him. Roy Emerson was a great tennis player. My first Wimbledon in 65 was Emerson won it. I always revered him. But those were the amateur years, meaning that by then, labor was a pro. Poncho Gonzalez, Ken Rosewall, There were a lot of people that, that Roy was not facing at that time. Then, you, then of course, you take Labor. Now, Labor's was split because he won the Grand Slam in 62 and again in 69, 62 as an amateur. Again, he wasn't facing the likes of Roswell gonzalez Ho. So so Novak is the first one to do it in the open era twice. I think that makes it even more remarkable because there's been a lot of people trying. And Rafa himself, as you know, has come so close so many times. And it was it was going to be one of the great feathers in his cap if he would have been able to win in Australia, he he had that agonizing final round loss to, uh, you know, to Novak in 2012 and Stan in 14 and then Roger in 17. So there were three times he was a match away and often only games away as he was against Roger in 17. And as he was against Novak uh, when he was up 4-2 in the fifth in the 2012 final. So Rafa looked like he was gonna be the one to have a career set of at least two each. And even someone as great as Rafa was not Quite able to pull it off at a venue where you know he hasn't had as much good fortune. But here's Novak, who's had all the the similar bad fortune in Roland Garros to what Rafa's had in Melbourne, and he finally does it. And he does it. He becomes the first player since 1949 male player to twice come back. Obviously, it had to be a man twice come back from two sets to love down in the course of the tournament. So I, Mm -hmm. I I think it's a uh, just a, a phenomenal achievement on his part. And it took, as you know, immense willpower. Should we talk just briefly before we cut away from the match entirely, Gil, a little bit, just briefly uh, about that third set of the, of the semi again, we uh, I, we didn't really delve into that. What sure. do you think?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was the, there were, I thought there were two key moments. I think that there was a, a forehand that Novak missed at, uh, I don't know if it was like five all, 15, 30 no, That I, I tell,
1: I tell you the one I think you're thinking of, Gil. It was five. Okay. Four, it was Novak serving for the set, five four, 30 love.
0: Yes, right.
1: And, and and that would have given him triple. That would that is the point, Gil, that I think would have haunted Novak for the rest of this year if he'd lost mm-hmm. the match because it, it was a really routine forehand, as you alluded to already. His forehand was magnificent the whole match. Not just the cross court, he just was hardly missing it the entire match. Very few forehand unforced errors. So here he is serving for the set. Uh, it already had been an exceedingly well-played set and he, he played the first two points beautifully. If he makes this forehand, he, the return was not very deep and he wins the point in it's 40 love. The set's probably over and we wouldn't have had all that added drama. But that, you're so right, that was a crucial point and it got Rafa back in. Then of course, he breaks. Then, of course, Rafa saves two break points himself at five all. And finally, what did you think of the set point, the Djokovic set point down at five, six, the backhand drop shot down the line? How about that one?
0: It's become such a comfortable shot for Novak. One that I think there's a stigma about the drop shot, right? Don't hit it under pressure. It's too difficult to hit under pressure that's doesn't apply to Novak. He's, he, he's hit it so often and so well, and it's so practiced and rehearsed that it's, it's become a weapon at any point in the match. And I think he's really honed in the shot selection, feels it so well. And, you know, for, for Novak, who doesn't quite have the power that that Rafa has off the ground, uh, that becomes such a, a great weapon for him because the way he disguises it and how well he hits the drop shot, accompanied with his depth, becomes the the offensive uh, formula for him.
1: Yeah, it's it's a crucial part of his offense, no doubt about it. But I I thought that was such a fascinating sequence. The point from that we just talked about, from five four, 30 love Novak looking like he has the set to five six and in between Nova, uh, uh, Rafa fighting off a couple of break points at five, also Rafa had been very brave and gritty to get into this position. Some people criticized him, uh, Gil, I don't know what your thought was. They felt that it was a second serve and he should have hit a better return than he did on that set point. However, it wasn't a bad return. It could have been deeper and it was, and to me, I'm not that critical because I didn't, I didn't feel that Djokovic took immediate control of the rally, that it didn't get Rafa into trouble in other words.
0: Well, I think what what some people saw throughout the match is Novak's second serve speed. I think was around eighty one miles per hour on average, and it's not that again. Nadal w- was happy to hit strong second serve returns, but wasn't exactly taking control off the second serve return. Which uh, for him, I don't I don't see him do that often. I don't see that as as part of his regular game. Totally
1: agree. Totally agree. It's just not his natural inclination. That, that now he might sometimes hit them a little deeper than he did that one, but that's not why he lost the point in the end. It, yeah. You know, it, it, they were pretty neutral off his return. Novak didn't take immediate control. So, but, but, uh, but anyway, that, that of course allowed Djokovic to eventually get, he got the hold and we went into that tense tie break, which also was quite I- interesting. Didn't you think?
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, just like that forehand could have haunted Novak if he didn't make it at, at 30 love five, four, it's the forehand volley for, for Rafa that right. that he's going to remember.
1: Yes, that's the point that put Novak up. That was, you know, th- this was the one that gave Nov- Novak a lead he wouldn't relinquish at five, made it brought him to five three. Interesting mm-hmm. point because Novak had come in and I thought he was going to win the point. He had a, a he was a little bit on the stretch with the high forehand volley, but I thought he'd put it away and he didn't. He I tried to angle it away cross court, but Rafa saw it coming and chased it down and chipped the back end down the line took the net away came in behind that shot and then of course novak couldn't really had, had to retreat couldn't get that much on his pass and court was wide open for rafa's forehand volley he said something later that made me think it was sort of the frenzy of that point that threw him off it may be thinking he might have lost it already and then suddenly finding himself surprised to be at the net himself because novak had been there first but you're right i mean obviously That's a volley. Rafa doesn't miss on the uh, once in a hundred times. Having said that, what does he do on the next point? Perfect forehand drop shot winner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So puts the pressure back on Novak, who's serving at five four. And what does he do? He aces Rafa down the tee, and then he wins the last point by chasing down a drop shot of Rafa's and steering his forehand deep down the line. And Rafa had no play on the pass. And Mm -hmm. and and that, as you said earlier, I think Rafa looked a little spent in the fourth set afterwards. We now know that he's not playing. Wimbledon or the Olympic Games uh, you know he's, he's he said he needs to rest he didn't allude to any specific injury and I don't even think it is that I just think he he worked so hard Gil didn't you think throughout the clay court circuit if you think about it started off with his loss to Rublev and Monte Carlo which was a little disappointing but then he then he had to save a match point when he beat Tsitsipas to win Barcelona and then he gets mm-hmm. beaten by Zverev the following week, but comes back in Rome where he also was in real trouble before squeaking out that match against Shapovalov and eventually winning the tournament. So I think all of the, there were so many tough matches and also won that in a tough three set over Novak in Rome. So it was, he did a lot of work on his path to Paris and not that the French draw was that difficult for him until he lost a set to Diego Schwarzman, but I think the wear and tear of the whole circuit apparently caught up with him. Would you, would you say?
0: Yeah, plus Roland Garros postponed one week. So now it's the traditional two-week break from that until uh, Wimbledon, one week less. With that being said, the Olympics are are further off and, and Rafa has decided to pull out of those as well. Uh, but I, I do think it kind of just sheds light on from both a micro perspective and a macro perspective. It, it comes down to this rivalry. You know, Novak in more ways than one really seems fresh like a daisy right now. And for Nadal... Uh, it seems like he's battling his body a lot more than than Novak is.
1: No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And then, of course, we have the third member of the iconic trio and Mr. Federer. And Roger, <laughs> of course, surprised a few people, maybe even surprised himself a bit. I think he did surprise himself by winning three rounds in, mm-hmm. in World hours. And then he decided to withdraw. And I, I thought maybe that time would do him good for perhaps a. A semi-final or final run in in Halle, but of course he got knocked off by Felix auger on the the brilliant Canadian. And uh, but he he didn't he he didn't look very impressive in the third set. First two sets were pretty yeah. good, but then before he knew it, he's four love down and in the third. He loses six two. So we we have to wonder. We have it, w- Wimbledon may be very crucial for Roger, but I agree with you. Novak, of course, has to be in a great frame of mind right now, and he has to be the clear favorite for Wimbledon it's not not a shoe in but he's played such great tennis there through the years he's won the title five times he's won it the last two times it was played in 18 and 19 and I think coming off these first two now the the, again what everybody thinks of Gil and what Novak alluded to in his press conference in Paris was in 2016 very similar position to halfway to the Grand Slam the difference was he had actually won four in a row going back to the previous year so he'd become the first since Labor to win four in a row at any time, you know, in that case, across two seasons. And finally, everything caught up to him. He lost a third-round match to Sam Querrey, and he was just going through a difficult phase. And the elbow, I think, was starting to become an issue and led to some big problems the next year. But I'd, I can't see that pattern being repeated. Can you? I mean, I just got to believe yeah. that this is and knowing, too, that he's now 34 and that he doesn't have – a Unlimited time out there in the circuit, and, the, and he's one—he's only one title away from Rafa and Roger. He's got nineteen; they've got twenty, and it's a great opportunity to catch them at Wimbledon and keep his hopes for the Grand Slam alive.
0: Yeah, this feels different to me uh compared to yeah. twenty sixteen, yeah. and and not only not only is he one away from twenty, which is obviously going to be uh, su- is such a meaningful number right now, but I also think he's regretful. That that downfall came right around the time of the Olympics. So then he lost to Juan Martin Del Potro. And oh, we know
1: I, I interrupt you just for a second. You are so right because I will never forget him walking off the court in tears after Del Po yeah. beat him. That was a very tough draw, but it uh, yes, that was excruciating for him. And you're right. That was a that was when he was going through the kind of, you know, the <sighs> It was a it was a difficult time because he'd been so dominant. The Wimbledon loss kind of left him chagrined, and and there he was hoping to win a gold medal and getting nowhere and having Delpo take it take him out of that event. Yes, I, that's so true. I just cannot see that again. What I could see, Gil, I don't know how you feel, could see Djokovic not going to the Olympics. You have to make some choices this summer. If he has a if he wins Wimbledon, does he want to really? even though he'd love to win a gold medal, does he really want to forego the grand slam? I mean, if you look at Rafa in 08, it was one of his great seasons when he won the French and lost four games to Roger in three sets in the final, won the Epic over Roger at Wimbledon. And then he came to uh, the U.S. Open. Uh, but in, in between, he, over the summer, he'd won his Olympics. And he was you could see that he was burnt out during the Open. He eventually lost to Andy Murray in the semis. I don't think Djokovic wants that to happen to I don't I don't think he would want that to happen to him, especially if he's won Wimbledon, especially if he's won Wimbledon mm. and the Gramps still a possibility.
0: I just can't see him skipping out um, just because I think, I think he, he feels like
1: on. So you think he'll go on, win or lose at Wimbledon.
0: Yeah, I think he'll go to Tokyo. I, I think he feels like that's one of the very, very few holes in his resume is is, um, you know, he doesn't have that Olympic gold. And I think the signs that he's shown, such as playing Tokyo in 20, uh, 2019, I believe he played that ATP 250. You know, To me, that's a clear sign. He wants to feel those conditions. He wants to get, get used to the, the the stadium and all of that. I just think he's really uh, targeting the Olympics, and it's a big goal for him.
1: Well, that's going to be fascinating. I, I, I see your case. I see your case clearly, in fact. However, I think st- – he will have a lot, uh, a tough decision to make post-Wimbledon, especially if he's won Wimbledon. If he hasn't won Wimbledon, then the whole Grand Slam quest. On the other hand, you still want to get the Open. If you haven't tied the other two at Wimbledon, you, he's still going to want to get that tie at the Open. It, it'll be a tough choice either way, but particularly difficult if he's won Wimbledon, in my view. That's where I see the the, the likelihood of a pullout. So you and I, we'll, we, we there's no betting allowed in tennis, but what we'll do is we'll just <laughs> A glass of lemonade in Katona or maybe a, a, a root beer.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that. Um, yeah. l- let's give Stefano Tsitsipas uh, his due because uh, he reaches the final for the first time. So now, you know, Medvedev has reached a pair of finals. Zverev has been in a final. Team has won one, although older. Um, and then uh, I know I'm missing one. Who am I missing? Yeah. Um, Maybe not actually. No, I think that oh, you know oh. the the young guys are beginning to do uh, a lot better in majors, and uh, I believe you know Tsitsipas is ahead of the rest on clay. He makes a final. What did you make of his run and and how his career has progressed so far?
1: I think it was a very impressive run. I thought he showed a lot of poise and got some luck in the fifth set against Zverev because Stefanos had won the first two, and Zverev comes back, takes the third and fourth, and has love forty in the first game of the fifth, and when Tsitsipas got out of that and then he he really kind of regained control of the match. And that was an important win for him. He didn't want to lose in the semis two years in a row. And he wanted to break what you call a could call a semifinal syndrome at the majors mm-hmm. because he's he'd already been in a couple in Australia and here last year. So I thought it was very impressive. And then of course he started the final very, very impressively against Novak. It was a first set that could have gone either way. And and uh you know, he overcame his nerves in the opening game of the match and eventually. They go to they go to five four and he's uh, he has a chance to break Novak and he doesn't and Novak gets out of it and at five and at five all Novak breaks him and I would have thought at that stage if Novak serves out the first set uh, it would could have been a different very different match but he didn't and then and Stefanos outplayed him in the tiebreak as well despite having to save a set point so I thought he was very poised played a good very fine second set too but then uh, obviously Novak turned the match around early in the third when he broke for 3-1, never really looked back. But I think it was very impressive. It's his first final. People around him have got to remind him of that. The first one is always tough. Novak will remember that himself for when he played Roger, the 2007 U.S. Open. And that was a difficult experience where he served for the first set and he had triple set point, five set points altogether. Then he had two more set points in the second set, and yet he lost in straight. So I, uh, that's what I think he meant when he addressed Stefanos in the, in the presentation ceremony after the match, saying, you know, you, you, you'll learn from this. You learn. Right. From, and he did, he did not mean that condescendingly at all. I think he really was very sincere. And Stefanos will learn. And I, I agree with you. He's ahead of the others on clay. But also what I love about Sitsipas is I believe he's just a great all-surface player. He still has a little bit to prove on grass. Uh, but I think he'll get there. Whether it's this year, I don't know. But I think over time he will become a great grass court player. And we already know what he can do on the hard court. So he's he's really kind of stationed himself in a in a. a, a, a I, I I I he's on the cusp of it. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, I, I think on on grass, if he figures out the return of serve, which is a little right. bit behind, I think he's golden.
1: Yeah, that's um, it because not the serve. He's got the serve yeah. to win on grass. It's the backhand return.
0: Do you think that these guys are are getting pretty close to the point where they're going to start to steal some slams away from, from Novak and Rafa?
1: When you say these guys, you mean it's Tsitsipas, Medvedev?
0: Mostly Tsitsipas, Medvedev, and Zverev for the most yeah, part. Yeah,
1: I, I think they're and bound team. to... And team. Yeah. Well, obviously team at least knows he can do it. Having done it last year, ideal circumstances, no Rafa in the field, Novak getting disqualified. Uh, So the door was open for him, but he took advantage of it. And I I think Zarev has been very consistent, even though he wasn't able to, you know, he came so close to winning the U S open. We're seeing a lot of consistency from him at the majors. And he could very well have been in the final of Roland Garros himself. And he's another one who can play well on all surfaces. So, I think, yes, how many they'll steal away is hard to say because Djokovic is so hungry right now. But uh, I, I've got to believe in the next couple of years, they're going to they're going to be right in there. And yeah, possibly, I don't want to say this too soon, possibly ahead of Rafa in the sense that we don't know physically, maybe, maybe this is a, a crucial time for Rafa. And I think he's made a very wise move to take this time off at Wimbledon in the Olympic Games. But let's see how strong Rafa comes back with his body. Can he can he rebound again as well as he has in the past at 35? We don't know, but I do believe the group you mentioned. I worry about Medvedev, don't you? I worry about him in the sense that I think he's so moody and so unpredictable. And he suddenly made up his mind, Gil, that he could play on the clay after not, you know, having never won a match at Roland Garros. He gets the quarters, didn't play a bad match at all against Sitzipas. was really well played, straight sets, mm-hmm. but he could well have won the first and third sets. And, he tried that crazy underhanded serve on match point down. But the fact is overall, he was he, he played a good match and had a good tournament. Yeah. And uh, I, But he worries me in the sense that he, it seems to be sometimes all or nothing with him. He either believes that he's almost the king of the world and unbeatable as he, at the end of last year, that run from the Paris winning indoors in Paris and London and the ATP finals and goes to the finals of the Australian Open to start this year. And he, in times like that, he seems cocky in a good way where he just knows mm-hmm. how good he is and then we see him sink into despair and not think he can play at all I, that that part worries me I think uh, I'm seeing some more more competitive resilience from Sitsipas, and more consistency I think steady level from Zarev. so but I they're all I, I have to I still believe that they all will, will see their day they're all gonna win uh multiple majors all every every guy that we just talked about Team already has one. The, the others will all get get on the board and then some.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. And you're you're so right about Medvedev. I feel I've always felt like he's a guy. If you lose the first set against him, good luck. You're in you're yep. in big trouble. If you win the first set against him, he might go away. Like you you might be in luck there.
1: Yeah. Now he didn't. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. He didn't go away against Tsitsipas uh, in, in, no. in 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 Roland Garros, which was good but on the other hand you're right he's not you don't he's not at this point the, uh, someone you'd count on as a great comeback player he although he nearly the one time he he nearly did it was of course against Rafa at the US Open 2019 two sets down and he pushes him to the to the hill all the way in, uh, down to the wire in the fifth but that group they're an exciting group and they're they you know they're going to they're going to make their mark for sure and and they all I don't think they're afraid of Novak but they also know that Novak is Got a couple more years here, I I believe, you know, up till at least up till 36, you know, mm-hmm. possibly 37, where he's going to be always in the thick of things at majors, depending on what he's already accomplished. I mean, we have to see how how it all unfolds and how hungry he remains. But right now, he's extremely motivated.
0: Well, if you look at Novak's uh, main competitors or, or, or contenders on the grass, they have. Very, very little grass court experience to speak of just by nature of, of their age and not doing very well in 2019. And then there was no tournament in 2020. Uh, But based on play style and game style, who do you think might um, be able to, you know, be dangerous at, at Wimbledon, even if they don't have the results to lean on, uh, who do you think has a, a good game for the grass? My,
1: I'd have to say of the people we're talking about, I think it would be Zarev. I mean, you know, he, I think it it suits him fine. I, I, and he's got one of the great first serves in the game. And, and and I, I feel like he, he's quite good on grass, doesn't have a phenomenal record on it, but I, I I think he has the game to to get him pretty far Uh, Medvedev. I'm not so sure yet, Uh, certainly not team. And and Stefanos, as we discussed, it's going to come down to his, uh, you know, can he, can how much can he improve his return? Because I I think it may take him another year or two to feel like he's conquered the grass. Right now, I would say of that dangerous crop, that perhaps Zarev is the the most so. What do you, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I like Zverev if he's going to play aggressively. But you know, uh, on grass, you have to be proactive. You have yeah. to take your chances to to be aggressive and play offensive tennis. And sometimes Zverev is uh, defaults to passivity.
1: He does, he does. You're right. But uh, I think he understands that, and he can get away with it too on clay and even hard. Sometimes he can get away with that. I think he knows mm-hmm. on the grass that he can't. You're right. That will that will be the key. But I'm expecting him to play that kind of aggressive tennis and we'll see where it leads him.
0: Yeah. If he does, I'm with you. If not, I'm high on, on the Russians. If I could add Rublev to the conversation, I think he'll do much better on grass than he did on clay with his flat first serve and his big uh, first forehand and compact strokes. And he takes the return very early. Uh, Then Medvedev with his very flat hitting, which is going to give him a lot easier offense with the kind of skidding effect through the grass. So, uh, I, I like the Russians for Wimbledon as well.
1: Yeah, no, those two. You're right. You're. I don't disagree with that. And Rublev. It, it, Rublev. Sometimes I think a little variety would help him. He still. I yeah. still feel like tendency to try to knock the cover off the ball every single shot. But there's no doubt with you know with his short swings he can do, he can be very effective on grass and no doubt that the flatness of medvedev strokes will serve will serve him well the court helps him out a little bit more than the clay uh i think he in an odd way he will be happier on the grass than than he is on clay
0: you mentioned earlier i just want to go back that you do think that nadal's decision to skip the uh wimbledon and the olympics was wise what do you think's going through his head um in terms of his his strategy there
1: Well, I think his strategy is he worried that he could get maybe badly hurt himself. And, and uh, if he tried to come back too soon. So his thought is I put in, I had a long, strenuous clay court circuit. I'm going to take a a brief, I'm going to take some time off and do my workouts in the gym and stay off the courts for a while. And then I think he's thinking, okay, but then I'll gear up because I I can be ready for the U S open. And so that's really what I, and that'll be interesting because it will be coming back he's better at it than he would have been younger in his career at dealing with absences like that and dealing with time off. The question will be how sharp is he at that stage on the hard courts? You know, and 19 Mm -hmm. was interesting because Novak, of course, had won the Epic with Roger at Wimbledon, but then Rafa got going over the summer and won up in Canada and things really fell into place for him. And then he used that as sort of a springboard to winning the U.S. Open where Novak had lost a a little issue, I think, with his shoulder and he lost to Stan Wawrinka. And Rafa had a great tournament culminating with that win over Medvedev. So I think he's kind of hoping to recapture that and figuring that he just was not in a position physically or mentally to win Wimbledon. And there was no point going there if he wasn't going to believe he could win it.
0: Yeah. That, that's a good call, um, to, to draw comparisons back to, uh, 2018, um, or, or sc- excuse me, 2017 you did. Right. Um, Roger Feder, on the other hand, prioritizing Wimbledon um, to to a, to a large extent. It's been a it's been a rocky comeback. It, it hasn't looked smooth or easy like it did in 2017. What result would surprise you uh, when it comes to to Roger Feder at Wimbledon?
1: I guess the two that would be surprise me would be at, say a second or third round loss. Or a run, or a a miraculous run to the title. Uh, Either one would. I would. I'd be more, even more surprised by the latter, because I do. I expect Roger. It's more sort of a question of can he get to the sixteens, quarters? Could he squeeze into the semis? Mm -hmm. Uh, Does he really have it to get to the final? I I mean, that's the interesting part for me. I have a hard time seeing the seven matches, given Mm -hmm. how little tennis he's played this year. Uh, it, it, it's it's so difficult. And then he didn't get what he wanted out of Halley. It's not that he lost to Felix, but that he could have used two or three more matches. And so I, but I, I still don't, it still would surprise me almost as much to see somebody pick him off, a non-seed get him in the first couple of rounds or a low seed beat him in the third round. I don't see that. But I think once he gets into the 16s, it's going to be, it could be very tough depending on the draw. And is he trusting himself right now? He keeps referencing the, coming out of the surgeries and now you're kind of worried about what might happen even before it does. And that's partially why he pulled out of the French. He was worried something could happen if he played that match against Berrettini in the fourth round. I don't think that he felt that he was hurt at the end of the third. People talked about why didn't he just default at the end of that match, you know, with Kepfer, but I I don't think he was in great pain. I think he was worried that he, another match and he might be. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, he's got to get his mind right. But then I think the question is that endurance, that marathon uh, throughout the fortnight, and can he withstand that? And you know, he clearly wasn't ready to withstand that in Paris.
1: Right, and obviously the surface suits him so much better at Wimbledon. And there'll be some crowd. They're, now we're, they're talking about full crowds, which he'll love, and yeah. they they adore him and, and they revere him, and that that'll be a lift to hear the those spectators welcoming, welcoming him, welcoming Roger back to what amounts to his grass court home. So yeah. that part is all nice. The support will be there. The question is, how, how much can he support himself? How much does he believe in his game right now, in his body right now? And that's, that's going to be such a tall task. I mean, we think back to two years ago, the last Wimbledon, it was a spectacular effort to beat Nadal and have two match points against Djokovic, and t- twice a point away from winning the title. But I, I believe that so much has happened since then with, with those knee surgeries and coming back this year that it's asking an awful lot of himself to put himself in a position to win this title. What, what do you expect from him?
0: Yeah, I would, if I were to like pinpoint around right now, I would think he would be stopped maybe in the quarters. It's kind right. of my right. sense without seeing the draw. And I think the draw right. is is going to really dictate how I feel about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, based on the fact that it, how impressive he looked like against a Chilich at, at the French open. I, I too would have trouble just writing him off completely. Another player in the draw, you know, could lose first round, you know, especially because he, he still has the seed, which is going to help him kind of get into the tournament. You would think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And no, I, I definitely don't write him off. I just, I feel that he's got a, a, an enormous challenge ahead of him and he knows it. And the question is going to be, yeah. How kind is the draw? can he avoid most years he waltzes through the early rounds because his serve is so great and his serve still is great, but can he, can he, can he get through the early rounds with, with customary ease? That'll also be a factor because he's got it. He, he doesn't want to take too much out of himself in the first three or four rounds or, or he could be really vulnerable by the quarters.
0: hundred percent. Well, we look forward to, to Wimbledon, and this is always our, our shortest distance of time. Uh, between our chats it's very short you know just we only have to wait a couple weeks before uh, we will catch up again after the fortnight at the all england club they're gonna miss you over there because i've i've been with you um on the grounds and of course you know you you've been covering wimbledon for for a while you're a big celebrity there they're gonna really miss you i know
1: (laughs) well thanks gil yeah it was nice seeing you in the press room there a few years ago and seeing that the reverence that you it was it was not kind of looking I was almost looking back at, at, in, in inside my mind in the eye of my mind to myself watching you and as you experience Wimbledon because there's nothing like it those first couple of times and it never really wears off so yeah I'll miss it but of course it, it, the conditions are difficult this year and I, I think I'm going to see more I'll have a chance to really uh comprehensively look at it more from home than I would have if I'd been on site so I'm looking forward to returning again in 2022.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hope to see you there in 2022 as well. Uh, All right, Steve, pleasure as, as always. This has been great.
1: Thanks, Gil. I enjoyed it.